another episode of PCLOTR, the Rings of Power podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian, from Pop Culture Leftovers. I am also joined by Jake from Pop Culture Leftovers. Welcome, Jake. Hey, thanks. Excited for this one. And from the StarkCast podcast, Joe Stark. Welcome, Joe. Hey, stoked to be here. And we've got Billy from the Reality Guys on YouTube. Welcome, Billy. Super psyched to talk this episode. Oh, my God. Guys, I you know I've been chiming at the bit to talk about this episode. I'm glad I had the extra days to do the notes and watch the episode multiple times. But this has been absolute torture. I feel like Aaron Deer in, like, you know, the fucking trenches. And I've been <laughs> captured by the Oryx. And I've been chained up. And I want to be let loose. I want to jump over that fucking ridge and podcast about this episode. I feel like I've just been, like trapped and, and I'm finally going to be able to talk to you guys about this episode and I've been dying to do so. This is was this was a big one in my opinion. And I don't know what you guys thought, but it was a big episode. Huge episode. So many implications to so many things that have ties to the Jackson trilogy, to the books, a lot of aha pointing at the screen moments because even if you're just even a casual Lord of the Rings fan, you recognize some of the characters that made their debut this week and the direct ties we have to some of our favorite characters and some of the locations that we got to see this week obviously Numenor namely something we've been looking to see on screen for a very long time and I don't think it disappointed oh absolutely not uh this episode was titled Adar and uh yeah that actually in it means father in Elvish and I want to talk about that later. There's a lot of stuff I'm going to be talking about later. Trust me on this episode. There, there's a lot of history we've got to talk with Numenor to go over. Uh, we know up, we know what's up with that, uh, Sauron symbol that we've been seeing and some really interesting clues about Halbrand's true identity. And guys, I. <laughs> Here we go. I'm not going to get into it now. I really don't even want to open it up now. <laughs> but I don't think he's the Witch King. You okay. know, some think he's the Witch King. But there is, and you guys are not going to like this, but I am going to break this down. I am going to dissect this. And, and, and I will, I'm not going to leave any stones unturned. And I'm going to go over everything that came out of his mouth and everything that is pointing towards Halbrand. There's a strong case. Halbrand. I'm not, I'm not saying he's possibly. I'm saying Halbrand is Sauron. There you go. There you go. Let's go. I was in total denial last episode, but I am 100% convinced Halbrand is Sauron. We're going to get into that later in the podcast. I promise you. And you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to say it right now. Theo is the Witch King. I'm going to get into it later. I'm telling you, I know this. I, I have a feeling. Not even a feeling. I think there is like undeniable proof in this episode that Hal Brand is Sauron. I cannot wait to dive into this. I just really wanted to kind of tease our audience at the beginning of this that, yes, uh, these are things that we're going to be talking about in this episode. So definitely some theories. I'm going to be laying it all out <laughs> later in the episode, but I really do want to talk about what a wonderful episode this really was. Um, what I, what I did miss in this episode, I'm going to say this. No Elrond. 
no Durin, nor Calabrimbor. So we didn't get to find out what's in the box that King and Prince Durin opened from the last episode. Like, like what's inside? Is it, is it, uh, what was inside the case in Pulp Fiction? Was it Gwyneth Paltrow's head? We don't know. Is it Mithril? We don't know. And we didn't get any Theo or Bronwyn in this episode. Um, and you know, you know, so. That's one of those things. The last episode, I kept thinking to myself, like Theo finding the box with the hilt in it. And it's like something that we deal with today. It's like people like lock up your boxes. Kids are finding guns. Lock, lock your guns up. You know, it's like, <laughs> come on, man. Some very irresponsible re- adults in the Southlands just leaving this, you know, this demonic hilt sword. You know, under in a barn, under a fucking, uh, you know, loose floorboard, loose floorboard. Come on, people <laughs> get with it, man. Ugh. The children are our future. Let's protect them from these things. It's dangerous. You know, let's childproof some shit. I know it's fucking it's Middle Earth, but come on, let's do this. Um, we got some exciting news, though. This week, we do have an email address. So if you did want to um, if you're already annoyed at me and you want to let me know, you can send me an email at uh pclotrpod at gmail.com. So that is our official email address. If you want to send in any questions to us, it is uh, pclotrpod at gmail.com. And uh, we've also started up a Twitter account. So we're on Twitter now, at pclotr. So you can follow us on Twitter and tweet at us there on Twitter, at pclotr. Uh, speaking of which, we did talk about uh, our email address. We did get our first email, and it was from listener Frederick Taylor. And he asks, is it possible the marked elves by Sauron are eventually the Urukai? I'm going to say no, because that was something that Saruman created mm-hmm. in the Third Age, right? Yeah, they were made much yeah. later, much later. I mean, it is interesting. I mean, the Urukai do come to mind, though. Obviously, this episode, and we we kind of talk about the first storyline. We'll talk about with the sunlight and why the now we see why the Urukai were so awesome because of their in a, their actual ability to travel in sunlight is very different, and it's a very big, you know, fantasy based limitation that is going to be a big storyline throughout this whole series. Yeah, you kind of take that for granted in that Lord of the Rings proper. You know, you don't really respect that they can just run out in the daylight until seeing some of this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, that's what I kind of love about this uh, this show so far. Because I feel like and, – and, and, and connecting it to the Jackson movies. Because I'm at that point right now where I am trying to – even though they've been like condensing timelines in this show – uh, which it makes sense. I think you have to do that. Um, but I'm still trying to connect it to the Jackson movies. Like in the Jackson movies, like you're seeing like Sauron getting ready to come back. Like the only thing that's missing is like Sauron being in possession of the ring. And he's basically showing himself to everyone. Like I am here. This is my army. And Mordor, like it's, it's just black, you know, orcs are able to walk around because the clouds and, and and all the black is just blocked out the sun. And in this one, we're kind of seeing like a, a Sauron that's in hiding, you know, after the, the War of Wrath. And 
and kind of not wanting himself to be known. And, you know, the Oryx are having to, you know, find different ways to travel in the sunlight. I just love how it's just so different. <laughs> and also what I love about this, too, is like in the Peter Jackson films, like the Fellowship, they're all together at the beginning. And then they break apart. I feel like the fellowship we're getting here is they're going to find each other. Like we do, ha- we are having, we are seeing a different fellowship, you know, Aaron Deere and Galadriel. I think eventually, and Nori, I think they're eventually going to find their ways together and be part of a new fellowship, but they start out apart. And I, I love how different that is. Yeah, it's different, but I agree. It still like enhances those Jackson movies. It's, it's so very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, last week we did kind of talk about, you know, like how are they able to talk about, how are they going to be able to talk about the downfall of Numenor? It's not in the appendices. And I did want to point out that I found out from YouTube channel Tolkien Untangled that the downfall of Numenor is a single chapter in the Silmarillion, but it's also a few paragraphs in the appendices that Amazon does have the rights to. So I think that's how they're able to get around it, Billy. Nice little loophole. No, it is. It's exactly. It's a great loophole. And if you have to avoid some specific titles of events or specific locales, and like I said, they've, they've mentioned a lot of things, even like the silver rolls in passing. Now they can't really go into crazy detail, but that being said, shows like ourselves can kind of extrapolate on some of those things and kind of provide that context, which I think is really cool that we get to have in our conversations. I'm just going to start off by saying I, we're going to break down the storylines. We're going to start with Aaron Deere. But I, before we really jump into this, I want to say this was my – for as much as I miss Durin, for as much as I miss Calabrimbor because I – and, and – uh, and, um, not Calab- – I didn't really miss Calabrimbor. I miss Elrond, Elrond and Durin. I still I I think that this might be my favorite episode. Of it's series. it's hard to top getting to see Numenor and <laughs> yeah. and and that especially that opening scene or that opening shot where it gets that wide shot of the harbor. It's what an advanced like very advanced civilization from this time period and to see it all fleshed out on the screen is incredible and it does make it a little bit weird when you're comparing it against the actual timeline from the books because things are very condensed but it's you know it's like they just took a few key human characters from different parts of the timeline and just basically put them all up closer to when Sauron eventually makes his way to the island and they did set up some really interesting stuff in this that uh, I, I love the way that they're playing up the mystery on this, and it feels like they're leaning into it pretty hard. And and I hope they continue to do that for a while because it does leave you wanting more at the end of each episode. I told you, I think Halbrand is Sauron. I think how I think Sauron's on the island, Joe. I, I, <laughs> last week I didn't want to believe it, because, and I had a whole host of reasons. Like chiefly among those, how would eventually this guy who clearly looks like a human? How is he going to impress Celebrimbor in being this? You know bringer of gifts but i'll tell you what if in a future episode if we see him getting the 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 ear of uh farazon it's like oh that's gonna be a nail in the coffin i'm telling you man i'm tell i i can't uh i gotta hold off on that right now but yeah. <laughs> um, i cannot wait to get I th- into I, it i think this was the best episode yet as well i you know i love elrond too but i didn't even think about missing him until seeing the next week on and then i was like oh elrond next week i was just so engrossed in this episode i also um 
really appreciated how ferocious and violent this episode got at multiple times. I was surprised every time it happened, you know, between uh, the fight in the city and the, the end with the wargs and, man, the close-up of arms getting snapped. And, Did you guys see and, the comparisons to the warg at the end to Ugly Sonic? Yes, I did. <laughs> no, I see it though in my mind's eye now that you say it. Oh boy, oh boy! I, it's a good um, one. My only complaint about this episode, and it's not even really a complaint. I hope this is the last episode where we end with a "Who is this guy?" cliffhanger because it's three episodes in a row now, and if it happens a fourth time, I think that's a little tired. So I hope that pattern can take a backseat after this episode. Oh man, I you know I. I suppose I I don't need any more introduced, but I do like the um, every week, you know, kind of dissecting every fucking thing that every character is saying and trying to figure out who they are. No, no, I agree. I'm just tired of the, you know, blurry who is this guy finale. And I feel like the payoff from the last cliffhanger wasn't like it was definitely addressed in this but it wasn't treated the way the episode ended off on it it was just like a cliffhanger for cliffhanger's sake so i i hope they find some more unique ways to get me on the edge of my seat for next week than who is this blurry guy (laughs) the whole blurry guy trope (laughs) (laughs) at least the first episode didn't have a blurry guy at least it was a who is this guy in the crater i didn't really mind the blurry stuff in this one it was kind of we're kind of let me kind of defend it here at the beginning when everything is kind of blurry when we start off with aaron deer's story it's because you know he's been kind of beaten up and that's what he's seeing and and that's kind of like the way the episode bookends he kind of gets the crap kicked out of him and is blurry again so that's why we see it that way but i understand that you're just like okay they did it the week before the sun is hitting the back of this guy and they can't see his face i get it it's it's just it it is just keeping me yeah they're doing their job i'm all in though that's i think that's my biggest problem i'm all in like you don't have to do that to have me super excited for next week I feel like a lot of people probably feel the same way. Yeah, but I mean, we, we're dealing with a weekly show. We're not dealing with a Netflix series where you can just binge it. We're dealing with a weekly show. So they are, I mean, they got to do these cliffhanger tricks. So I, I agree. I agree. I just want them to get a bit more unique with the get me excited for next week. Hopefully they have some other tricks besides who is this guy. I'm sure they will. I, I, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Um, that would make sense that it would be more plot related and not character related the further into this we get i would hope so i would hope so i'm me too we're gonna start off with the uh uh the arandir storyline uh is it arandir or arandir i thought it was arandir but i don't know i'm g- yeah yeah i thought it both was arandir but vase and vase I, I think both are <laughs> exactly acceptable yeah, until yeah. Gets it is gonna us. see how someone pronounces it you're not it's going to be that's then that's a little that's kind of understandable there are a lot of similarity and similar names so yeah oh trust me it's not going to be the last name i probably pronounce wrong through the doing this podcast with you guys so (laughs) i'm telling you what if you're a listener and you have a problem with the pronunciations like if it's driving you crazy just turn off the podcast because we're gonna fuck up some names i can promise you that that's just i mean you know i i 
It's just going to happen. Um, None of us are Tolkien scholars. We're, we're just enthusiasts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 Um, yeah. So last episode, uh, Arandir, Arandir, I'm going to call him Arandir. Arandir was uh, captured. We believe he was captured by an orc. And we do find that he was captured by an orc. Billy, you had mentioned that you think he's going to be kind of like in, in an enslavement camp. And that's exactly what we see here, he's in a slave camp with other men, probably from the Southlands. Um, some other uh, elves are in the group as well. And uh, two elves in particular, um, the Watch Warden. And what's his buddy's name? Is it Medhorn? And, yeah, Mador. Uh, Mador, yeah. yeah. And so uh, the orcs have have, they have them uh, digging these tunnels and trenches. And they're using like these, um, putting up these canopies, these coverings. As they go to avoid the sun, uh, which is which hurts the orc skin, which we see kind of like in this episode multiple times, and uh, we find out that the works that uh, the orcs have been working for someone under the name of Adar, who is uh, referenced here, but we don't see his like face. We do get to see the blurry image of him at the end, and uh, one of the orcs says for Adar as he attacks. Uh, Aaron Deer, um, were you guys surprised to see that, that uh, uh, Mador and the Watch Warden were part of this group? I was. I was disappointed. I was just like, not not in the writing, but in the characters. I was like, oh, you idiots. You're here too. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked to see that as well. Um, well whose it, fault it, is it? Whose fault is it? It's it's Arendir's fault. They went out looking for him, correct? That's what I assumed. Yeah. It was that they went out looking for him and then – Well, remember in the previous episode when he shows up at Bronwyn's house, she's like, why are you here? And where's the rest of your group? And he's like, well, they're probably out looking for me since I'm supposed to be with them. Yeah, totally his fault. <laughs> yeah, kind of a dick move. I wonder if he will feel that guilt in future episodes, you know, with what happens to him. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I What I kind of like loved about this is, you know, Tolkien's works were very kind of uh, – um, you could see a lot of his writing was influenced by um, war, uh, human war, World War II. Um, and you could really see that it really kind of felt like down in those trenches that they, it felt like they were kind of like in a, uh, um, you know, like a, like, you know, like in in wars, I would say, like, if, if you're a prisoner of war, it really felt like they were all kind of like prisoners of war. And it's something that even like in the real world, we can kind of relate to to this, like these kind of like POW camps. Right. I mean, it really felt like they, they captured that well. Yeah. Tolkien was a was a soldier in the First World War. You know, he wrote he was literally writing things about Middle Earth in the trenches at the Battle of the Somme. And that is exactly what the case would be. You step out of that trench and more than likely you're going down. And he experienced that and just the destruction of natural beauty and kind of the mechanizations of war. It's the last war where there was both horses and then tanks. And obviously, you know what was going to happen there. And all that type of imagery and similarities do come across in his themes and his writing. So you're definitely spot on with that. 
it's totally believable also mm-hmm. that these orcs would because when we when that town was sacked and all the people are gone, I figured it like these are these are food meats back on the menu, boys. And uh, <laughs> but that actually putting them to work makes sense because it's like these people can go out in the sun, no problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, the improvised tools that he was using too, basically using like a pickaxe that was made from like a scapula of of like a shoulder blade of something. Did you see that one of the uh, one of the orcs that comes out later? It's the one that kills Mador. Was wearing an like an elf helmet from like the the from like it looked like from like the Wrath of War. It looked like one of the same helmets that Galadriel was stacking in the first episode. Oh shit, I hadn't even noticed that. That's an old orc. <laughs> or or it's been <laughs> handed down, you know. If it's the orc then they had a guy listed here, I looked in the in the episode description as Brath, and they said that the guy Jed Brophy who played him actually has played multiple characters oh, yeah. in the Jackson trilogies. Yeah, he's oh, wow. Yeah, he's played uh he's played orcs in the Jackson trilogy, and I believe he's played a dwarf as well. Um, yeah, he's been doing like, uh, the interview circuit here lately. So yeah, it's very cool to have him involved in this as well. Um, I, another reason why it's really good that Mador and the Watchwarden were here is cause they have, they're, they're, they're basically catching us, the audience up and, uh, Ar- uh, Aaron Deer up as to like, what is going on here? What are the orcs doing? And, and Mador tells Aridin uh, uh, that, uh, they're digging, the orcs are having them dig and they're also searching for something. And my guess is that they're looking for that sword that Theo is in possession of. Adar has them out there. Adar's their commander and he's having them um, look for – I think they're looking for that sword. I think I so too. Yeah. And in order to get uh, any further, there's this uh, ancient tree that is there. And, um, you got to understand, like, you know, a Rondier, I'm going to talk, I keep, I keep saying his name differently every time. A Rondier <laughs> says that he's going to, uh, that, that, and, and the watch warden and Mador, they're not wanting to cut down this tree. I mean, these are Sylvan elves. They're no, they're, they're wood elves. They're forest dwelling. And, and I mean, if you remember from the, First episode, Arandir says, you know, he was asked by the watchword and like, what did you do before this watch? He said, I was a grower. So, I mean, to cut down this ancient tree is just heartbreaking for them. And they do not want to do it. They kind of they kind of put their foot down and refuse to do it. And I think them making a stand like this and then what happens with Mador with his throat getting sliced here and then a Rondier having to be the one to step up and say, I'll do it. I'll cut down the tree. And then it was super emotional. He, he says, uh, obscene, which means forgive me as he's touching an Elvish. It, it means forgive me and he, as he's touching the tree. And it was just really like, it was, it was very sad. It was very sad, especially, you know, this this tree has been there so long and you can just kind of see that, like, this is the way things are going. And I kept, you could not not think about, like, the Ents and their reaction, like, 
you know, in the two towers as well. Yeah, this was yeah. a gut-wrenching moment. Um, man, just the way he held his palm flat on the tree, like that was the moment right there where it just got me. It's like he knows he has to, but he just feels such sorrow. And, and yeah, seeing, um, what is it, Modir? His, the guy that got his throat cut? Mador. Mador. Yeah, I mean, that was just crazy. Like, he's still drinking the water when it happens. And that effect just, oh, it made me so sad. Fucking orcs. Oh, that, that whole scene was just masterful. I loved that it got so ominous when the elves made their stand. And then it was, oh, you've earned yourself a water ration. And then when Arondir's taking the drink... And that orc kind of looks over his shoulder and chuckles to his companions. It made me so viscerally uncomfortable. And then Mador's taking a drink and the danger comes from a completely unexpected, you know, angle. And and I, I just love that the, these orcs are bringing in a level of psychological torture to their, their captives. I mean, they're already terrifying just to look at. But then to think that they've also got that sharp of minds as well just makes it that much scarier and the practical effects on all these orcs look incredible yeah oh this there's money put into this as well wow oh yeah for sure and it's interesting i mean the the use of like imagery and metaphors with trees is a through line throughout even just this episode it's not this isn't the only place where the kind of status of a tree or the imagery of a tree is being used to kind of reflect the health of a situation or the status of a situation. We'll see that later when we see the tree Nimloth in um, Numenor. So I think it's kind of an interesting, they have a through line of metaphors. They're using that tree imagery. Well, uh, Tolkien himself as a boy loved trees, loved climbing trees. He was a big fan of trees in nature. So that's, I mean, he takes a lot of like his own personal life experience and puts it into his own in, into this fantasy world that he created. So it's it's very cool. Yeah, um, I don't have a lot of notes here about like the them trying to escape. I, I really just kind of wanted to you know ask you guys what you thought of the the escape, the the action that we saw here, the battle with the warg and and everything. Because I thought it was very very well done. Um, I mean. You know, the, the, they know that they have the advantage in the sun. Keep them, keep them under the canopy and try and, and, and try to break these chains and get free. And then it's like, oh God, then they send out the war. <laughs> it's mm. like, oh no. I thought I it was cool. They all just, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was just saying, it reminded me of, this is the kind of, um, acrobatic super saiyan elf type of battles you saw from like a legolas in the jackson trilogy it is cool to see their acrobatic style and their ingenuity and it was kind of a chuckle moment for me not in a really bad way it didn't take me out of it but it was the first time where i felt a super callback to kind of the acrobatics and such so and like you're right brian it is also really tactical which is something really to take into account i loved the way that everybody under that canopy just got the fuck out of the way <laughs> when that warg was coming. It was just a bunch of screams and then eventually silence. And uh, the 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 look on the warg, it was like kind of an even mix of scary and kind of borderline derpy. 
but I thought it was still effective because it was scary. And in the way that they did all that, I, I loved uh, a Ron Deere jumping and cutting that that big timber down. It was almost reminiscent of of watching MCU Thor jumping with uh, Stormbreaker. Mm. Um, j- just the way that right when you think that the the Watch Warden is going to get away, and and instead now he gets filled with arrows from a completely different direction. It, it just adds to the hopelessness that that they must all be feeling. And then for him to lose his companions like that and for their plan to fail so spectacularly, uh, man, that's two episodes in a row where, where Rondier is just in a much worse position than where he started the episode. Yeah. I thought, I thought that they were going to get out of there. I thought they were going to get out of there. I really, and I, I thought by the end of the episode, all three of them would be like, you know, running off together they'd find some horses they'd ride off together and get out of there and we got like it's like i'm surprised this wasn't directed by ryan johnson because i (laughs) 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 because nothing nothing went their way unfortunately in this episode and yeah it ends with uh a watching the watch warden die he gets the he gets the boromir and he gets the arrows and um he gets knocked out and they say, take him to, take him to Adar. And, um, question, who is Adar? He sure didn't look like an orc. No, no. It, and, and, and when Arondir was talking with the watch warden, uh, they were talking about his name and they said, Ad- Adar is Elvish for father. And so why would he have an Elvish name? So is this like a fallen elf that we're getting? It's just like a show made invention. I think that we know that he's the commander of the orcs that are taking over the Southlands. But I believe that like with his name meaning father. I think he was the first elf that was captured, tortured by Morgoth and his orcs. Uh, by Morgoth and the goblins, and he was he he was used to create the first orcs, and that's why the orcs call him father. Oh, that's a pretty cool theory. I like that. Yeah, I, I like that too. I like the idea of him being kind of maybe like this wizard necromancy type character, could be a, a cultist, possibly something like that. But like you said a, a fallen elf who is definitely a lieutenant. I think they're obviously trying to lead us and casual viewers, at least into thinking that that's Sauron. I don't think that's the case either, uh, but it would be really cool. I think it would be a really interesting and dynamic character. And again, could be a prelude to some of the lieutenants we're familiar with. We talk about things like the witch King. We talk about uh, things like the mouth of Sauron, like kind of those characters we're used to from the trilogy. So I love to have them build out kind of a hierarchy of lieutenants and stuff that we get to know over multiple seasons, hopefully. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause like, I remember like watching like the, you know, the first couple episodes and I'm thinking like, oh, maybe Theo could be the mouth of Sauron. I'm having, I'm just speculating because I do feel like, you know, there are these characters and I feel like this is the perfect you know, perfect time. This series can be used to, to give us those origins of those characters if done right. Let's jump into the Galadriel storyline. Um, oh, yeah. Before I do that, uh, it really feels like Arondir is kind of screwed here. Like, how is he going to get out of this? I really don't have any theories. It really feels like he's kind of 
kind of stuck here. And it'll be interesting to see him interact with uh, Adar next episode if we get that storyline. I have a feeling we might not get that storyline next week. Yeah, there's a lot to cover next week. But, you know, looking at the next week on and I, I didn't see any of that stuff going on. So who knows? Might have to wait a week to find out who the who the blurry guy is. Yeah. Maybe some other elves show up, maybe like another patrol or something of that nature, since three of them are missing now. I'm not sure, but that, that's the only thing I could kind of think, unless there is some kind of person within the camp already or something like that nature that maybe helps him. Mm-hmm. The show did do a really good job of making it seem very hopeless for him, though, because I'm in the camp, too, where I thought they were going to escape this episode. And the fact that it went so horribly wrong if he ever does actually escape, it's it's really going to feel great. Like I'm not even expecting it at this point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into Galadriel's storyline for this episode. And, um, we see her, she's woken up on a ship. She's on a ship now. And, um, she is, it's a Numenorean ship and it's captained by Elendil. And, Fans of the books, fans of the Peter Jackson trilogy will know this as Isildur's I can't say the name, Isildur's father. And I was just like, oh my god, this is so cool. I was like, this is I was like, first off, we're on a Numenorean ship, and this is Isildur's father. Like, this is so cool. I cannot I was just I could not wait to dive further into this episode. Agreed. And I like that they were introduced so early that you know that they are going to be central figures throughout. It wasn't something they waited until season two and three to make that a, oh, my God, moment and have that character introduced. We get to see them from very early on. And that kind of more than guarantees that they're one of the main almost like you said, almost like the fellowship of the cast. Which yeah, I was really excited to say. Yeah. Um, Elendil it calls Galadriel. An Eldar, which is a name that was given to elves who traveled to Valinor initially. And the elves were created in Middle-earth. And the gods, the Valar, called them to the west, the land of Valinor. Galadriel was one of the elves in those groups that answered the first call to Valinor. And... um she looks and she sees that Elendil has her dagger. So he's in pres- possession of her brother's dagger now. And I was just like, ah, oh, how is she going to get that dagger back? Same. <laughs> <laughs> and they travel and we see uh, for the first time on screen the, um, the, the, the land of the, the land shaped like a star, the island kingdom of Numenor. And we see these watchtowers. There's a couple watchtowers that we see, and they light a flame. And, it, of course, it reminded me of the beacons uniting Gundor and Rohan. And then we see uh, we also see a statue of Ea Rendell, the father of Elrond and, and his twin brother Elros. Um, and then to the left of that statue, we see a bird statue, uh, which represents Elrond and Elros's mother, Elwing, who at one time was given the, bir- uh, the form of a bird. Um, if you look at the statue of a Rendell, he has one of the Silmaril gems carved into a crown on his head. And what's, I, what I thought was really cool about this statue, 
of Aya Rendell was the way he had his hand out and it was an open palm and it was almost like he was greeting you like, welcome, welcome to Numenor. And it made me think of like the opposite <laughs> of like the Argonoth statues that we yep. see of Isildur and Elendil where they look like they're warning you to stop, you know, like, and so I, I really <laughs> liked seeing Numenor, but it's almost <laughs> what's wild about it is it's like, you might as well just have the statue saying stop because they haven't let elves in Numenor in in years. Well, yeah, well, what that's really interesting, Brian, is it's it's a reflection. The Argonauts are kind of the reverse because you said they're welcoming in and we all know that things aren't going to go well for Numenor. So it's mm-hmm. really interesting to say, see some of the survivors of Numenor. Their statues are stay out of our lands because when we welcome people in, Shit went bad. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Um, well, this is kind of a tangent, but was sure. the original purpose of the Argonaut to say telling people, hey, stay out of Gondor? Or was it saying, hey, watch out, there's a big-ass waterfall up here? Because <laughs> oh, I always no. took it as the latter, and maybe I'm an idiot. <laughs> no, it definitely was to protect the lands. It was a, you know, to protect the lands of Gondor. But, I, you know, the waterfall is definitely a good touch. Yeah, they were like, haven't you seen... Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Like he goes down <laughs> three or four of these things. It is not pretty. <laughs> uh, in the War of Wrath, Aya Rendil flew his ship and did battle with dragons. And they say he flies as a shining star, which is actually the light that Galadriel has in her file that she gives to Frodo in The Lord of the Rings. Yep. Which. Plus, like I said, contains he had one of the Silmarils as well. So it is something really, really powerful that she gave Sam I means Frodo. And then obviously Sam being able to use it as well with Shelob. I mean, it's no joke what they had. And the star that he became. By following that star, this is how Elros found Numenor. He followed the star of Eärendil and found Numenor. Um, Numenor was a gift from the gods the valor to the humans who chose to fight on the right side of the war against Morgoth. So the men that we see in Numenor, these men, they live in paradise, while the men we see in the Southlands, who are descendants of the men that fought for Morgoth, live in, like, much rougher conditions. (laughs) Dirt floors. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's all about who you know. It was. Well, it's very historically accurate. I mean, he was a, a historian and a and an English linguist, and so obviously that's how things go in history. If you are on the losing side and you pick the wrong side, your descendants are going to be in crap for a while until they can maybe build themselves back up, especially in these kind of medieval times that some of this fantasy is based off of. Yeah, but what's wild is just like they had been given so much, and they seem to be so kind of like um, angry and. And resentful for a lot of it. Yeah. Well, oh, go ahead, it, Joe. It wasn't enough for them. In the end, they were they were jealous of of the elves and their immortality, and that's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. It's like you can give us, you know, lifespans that are you know three times longer than that of a, a regular human, and all these gifts that that their ancestors got in in the form of teaching. 
from these elves that that's why they have such an advanced civilization on Numenor. And it's like, they don't care about that. Instead, they're more focused on the things that they don't have. And it's a really interesting story of, you know, paradise not being enough. Yeah. You know, you know, Tolkien was Catholic and a lot of, I think a lot of this comes from like religion. You think of like, you know, in the Bible, Adam and Eve, and it wasn't enough. They had to eat from the tree of knowledge to, and you know, and they did, you know, they did the wrong thing. And, they were deceived. And so I feel like he's taking a little bit of like a little bit of religion and putting it in here, of course, you know? Oh, absolutely. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Actually a lot of religion, honestly. Um, Numenor was founded by Elrond's twin brother, Elros, who like Elrond is half human, half elf. Elros was Numenor's first king. Uh, Elros and Elrond, when they were younger, they were able to choose like which life they wanted to live. They could choose, do you want to live as a human or do you want to live as an elf? They were given the choice. Elrond chose to live as an elf and Elros chose to lose, uh, uh, live as a human. So it was kind of like, kind of like, uh, Elros got his like own rum springer, like he's Amish or something. He's like, I like this. I'm going to stay human. And so he <laughs> stayed human. Um, and the, the men of Numenor that fought for, you know, the right side in the War of Wrath, um, they were given long lives. They were gifted long life and they were called the Dunedain. Um, remember Aragorn was a Dunedain and these were lords of long life, great power and wisdom, far superior to the men of Middle Earth, among whom they dwelt and whom they ruled. They were from the beginning far fewer in number than Le- the lesser men. They were tall, pale skinned with dark hair, shining gray eye, gray eyes and proud faces. The third age marked the beginning of the waning of the Dunedain. So by the time we get into like the Peter Jackson trilogy, that begins the waning of the Dunedain in which their gifts of wisdom, nobility and long life were slowly withdrawn due to the downfall of Numenor and their mingling with lesser men. And we know that uh, Aragon was one of the uh, Dunedain. Uh, don't we? By the time we meet him, isn't he like eighty-seven years old when he's eighty-seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the beginning of their history, the Dunedain were blessed with a lifespan thrice the life of lesser men. Yet this ever diminished over the course of the Third Age. Uh, Galadriel talks about how elves used to be able to come and go from Numenor but how they eventually would turn away their ships. As she's walking and as Halbrand is walking, we see that Halbrand focuses for a moment on the smithies at work. And I want to talk about that a little bit later in the breakdown. But I did want to point it out here that there's a shot of Halbrand and he's he sees the smithies. Like that's, you know, all think of all the think of all the amazing things that are going on in Numenor. This beautiful city, this island, this, this, it's like the height of men here. And he's focused on what the Smithies are doing. Yeah, I didn't notice that foreshadowing until the second watch through after we, knowing what happens later. We get a shot of, oh, go ahead. Somebody was going to say something. No, I'm saying you're right. I mean, he's singularly focused on that. Mm-hmm. So it definitely is leading to have some pretty heavy, heavy illusions. And if it's not who you think it is, why is he so obsessed with it? Exactly. Uh, we get a shot of one of the, uh, gifts that the Valor gave the Numen, uh, the, 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 the Numerians, uh, a tree, um, 
a white tree of Nimloth. Um, so we get to see the white tree of Nimloth here and another gift given, but not seen here is the Palantiri, uh, which are the seeing stones. So we could be seeing the seeing stones in future episodes as well. So I would keep an eye out for the seeing stones in future episodes. Um, you didn't get to see any of them here. Did you notice that around the white tree of Nimloth, there is kind of like, like a, like a decorative fence made out of stone surrounding it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one that's kind of like in ruins. Yes. Yes. And like, there's a, a lot of like statues and, and stuff that was, you know, made in honor of the elves and of the valor and that stuff has not been kept up with. It's like they've let it kind of go to ruin. And I think it's also very telling of like, you know, where a lot of the mindset of of the people of Numenor is. Especially yeah, it, if you see the how the rest of the city is seems like it's immaculately mm-hmm. kept. And the only thing that's crappy seems to be the thing that you said that's for the elves. And I think that's pretty <laughs> um, intentional. Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Not many elf stands left in Numenor. Exactly. <laughs> Not many of the, the faithful can be vocal about it right now. They're not in the city. I really do feel like there is a large group of them. And I want to talk about that later, too. But anyway. Oh, that's true. That's true. They definitely allude to that. Uh, let's jump into Galadriel and Halbrand being brought before uh, Muriel, who is serving as Queen Regent in place of her father, King Tar Palantir. And <laughs> I love the scene was hilarious. How brands like kneel, <laughs> they, they kneel. <laughs> and again, it's like this thing of like, no one kneels in Numenor. It's almost like this thing of like kneeling is something that you, that you do out of respect for your God. And we don't do that here anymore. Like, we don't, you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing, we kneel to no one. And it's like the complete opposite of, like, at the end of, like, the Return of the King, like, it's like everyone kneeling before the hobbits, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Which I still cry every time that happens. Such a good scene. For sure. So good. Um, Galadriel introduces herself. Everybody is like, oh, my God. And then Halbrand, who is clearly hiding something, just says he's Halbrand of the Southlands. Um, <laughs> Halbrand. <laughs> I love the way he says it. <laughs> I, t- I, I'm telling you, like, I, I, I fell in love with Halbrand this episode, which is why it's going to be so heartbreaking when he turns out to be Sauron. I'm just saying. I know. I know because I, they're making – they're doing such a good job of endearing viewers to this character. He's, he's the comic relief. He's very scrappy. He's apparently can fight like fucking John Wick. I mean, what's not to like about this guy? <laughs> I'm just waiting for the moment where they totally Ned Stark this guy in the first season and Brian just throws a fit. What's that? What did you say? Where they Ned Stark him and he ends up being a character we love and they get rid of him in the first season and it's not Sauron. Oh, I'm not worried about that at all. <laughs> There's no way. I'm not worried no, about no, that I at all. Either. Yeah, that's not happening. No, they're not gonna, they're not gonna Sean Bean him. They're not gonna Boromir him. Um, 
So we also get a shot, and we do get to meet uh, Chancellor uh, Farazan as well here. Oh, that guy just looks like a dick. <laughs> right? Such a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, and in his response to Galadriel, too, he's like, I would rather kneecap a stallion. He'll be our guest. And it's like, oh, dude, you are not trustworthy at all. You know, I'm upset with him in this scene. I don't like him. But I'm also not really happy with Galadriel here. <laughs> yeah, her being a politician is not very good here. Well, I mean, she it, it what she says, she's like it it is she's talking about Numenor and she's like it is because of the elves you were given this island. And I was infuriated with her here. It's like listen. Yes, these are things that they were given, but you know, Muriel says they paid with the blood of their kin. It's like Galadriel just thinks that the elves are just better than everyone and that you're lucky to have what you you got. And um, I do think that Numenor is like trying to attain something that they shouldn't be trying to attain. I mean, they're trying they want to be like the elves. They want to be immortal. It, it's it is like a like like the in the Bible, the Tower of Babel, you know. And I, and I, so I don't agree with that, but I don't think that she needs to like fucking stoke the flames here and say shit like that. It infuriated me. No, And she's going to have a rude awakening eventually in this series when she finally meets uh, Adar and realize that the elves aren't the end all be all of, of good and gracious. Yeah. She needs to learn that you catch far more flies with honey and her just coming out there and talking shit. It's like, are you just trying to end up in a cage? Galadriel is a habitual line stepper. She just cannot leave anything alone. She just has to push it. She has to make sure everyone knows who she is and how serious she is at all times. And I mean, it's such a stark contrast from the Galadriel we know at the end of her story. It's it's just so interesting. And like I said last week, I do really think they're leaning towards she's going to do something. And if Brian's theory is correct and he is Sauron and she's really encouraging him. She's going to do something with because she just has her head down and doesn't think before she acts. And she's going to end up making things worse instead of better, at least to start. Oh, she has already started that. She has already started that, Billy. I mean, it is already those it's it's in motion right now from the moment she from the moment she got on that raft with him. Um, And that's pretty interesting, too, because it falls right in line with Gilgalad's fear. That if if we allow Galadriel to keep pursuing this evil, she's going to be the thing that causes it to rise back up. Mm-hmm. And and with her, just I mean, because yeah, the, the the Galadriel that we know from from the Peter Jackson films is is much older, much wiser. This Galadriel, she is still caught up in this vow that she took to avenge the death of her brother, and it's a singular obsession. And it shows in a scene like this that that's all she cares about is getting back to Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, but they are – she is surrounded by mostly people, the people of Numenor, that they they resent the elves. They resent the Valar. They are – I mean, they have rejected the gods. And um, this is the last place that she needs to be right now. I can understand her wanting to leave. Um, I don't – Billy, I, I, I've been I've been waffling on 
getting into like the the history of Numenor, the fall of Numenor. And I, I don't know if it's something that I really want to get in here, uh, get into in this episode. I'm not sure. What do you think? No, I mean, I, I don't think we need to fully get into it yet. I mean, we're kind of making a lot of illusions, and I, I'm sure a lot of listeners do know, at least based off the established lore, where some of these players land. I mean, we've kind of talked about Elendil and Sealdor. Um, Farazan definitely has a really big role to play going forward if they follow the like I said, established lore. Um, he is a total dick. And like I said, a lot of the stuff that you guys are talking about, about going after that eternal life and trying to maybe go for the undying lands and just not accepting what you were given or what you're blessed with. And yeah, it's there is a sad inevitability coming, but we don't, like I said, don't need to kind of spill the beans per se right away. But um, I think maybe as we kind of see, I mean, again, a lot of things center upon who they end up making Sauron because that will really dictate in my eyes and also with the stranger that we'll talk about towards the end of the episode again what they do with those characters and who they decide to make those guys be will kind of inform like how strict they're going to stay to the lore on everything and so that's really what I'm kind of on the wait and see mode not to like or dislike the show but just to kind of be able to recalibrate in my mind what to kind of expect from accuracy point of view yeah there's a really good point that we're going to be seeing this stuff in this series as well oh yeah yeah i i you know with with the downfall of numenor mm-hmm. and and the you know the the survivors that flee in the in the nine ships there's a really strong chance we're going to see all that in this series yeah i mean it might be season three or four before we get Mm -hmm. there but yeah there's a there's a big chance let's jump into galadriel is requesting a ship to leave and they say that an elf has not used a numenor ship in years and halbrand says hey listen listen he can see that this is going to escalate and things are going to be sad that probably shouldn't be sad. And he's being very kind of like, you know, um, he's, he's trying to, trying to deflect and he's saying, Hey, listen, we'll stay here for three days and we'll wait for your answer. Part of me is thinking he wants to stick around, see what's going on with the Smithies. But anyway, I, but I do think that he does not want this to escalate. He can see that these two women, are going to, they're going to go back and forth and things are going to be said. And it, I mean, might not be pretty. So, um, that's what happens. I, I agree with you that mm-hmm. he's, that he's both being the mediator and looking out for himself. Oh yeah. Like he's definitely doing both at once here. Yeah. Um, how, <laughs> uh, there's a moment here where, you know, Halbrand, uh, is, uh, talking with, uh, Elendil and, uh, that is when he steals the dagger back and, uh, gives it back to Galadriel. And, um, they have a conversation about Halbrand at one point tells Galadriel that he's been searching for peace longer than she knows. And, um, so I found that interesting. Uh, we then, uh, let's jump over into, uh, did, did you guys see him palming the dagger uh-huh. after he gave Elendil that hug? Yes. On my second when we watch. we first watched it. Oh, yeah, not I, not I, the first time. Yeah, I caught it on the first one because I was like, 
why did he give him a hug? And I was like, he did it to steal the dagger back. And so I'm immediately <laughs> looking at his hand and you could see it like kind of palmed there with the blade running up along the back of his forearm to hide it. And I love how they keep doing that stuff with Halbrand. Like in the, the last episode, you can see in the background him, you know, pushing his raft away from the others and, and paddling it out of the way. And with this one, you see him steal it. And then in, later in this episode, we see him steal another thing. And I love that they don't draw huge attention to it, but they put it there on the screen where if you're looking for it, you'll see it. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, we do get our first uh, meeting here with Isildur and he's uh, he's on a boat and he's learning the ways of the uh, Numenor um, Navy. And uh, then he arrives on the shores of Numenor and he is <laughs> greeted by his, uh, his sister, Aarian, and he doesn't care. He misses his horse. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> Love them some horses. So, yeah, we get to see Isildur, which, uh, man, yeah, it's awesome. We're going to be able, we're going to be following this character. This is so cool. I, we didn't get a lot of him here, but we are going to be following him, I'm sure, quite a bit throughout this, uh, throughout this series and in future seasons. Yeah, you kind of only know him as a big fuck-up from just the Peter Jackson movies. And I think that this is only going to enhance what we know about him. And then by the time we see him doing what he does, I think we'll have a better understanding of, like, you know, why he is the way he is and why he chose to chose to be that way, right? Yeah, it's going to make it even more sad, I think. So far, this series has done... Nothing to detract my enjoyment of the Jackson movies. It's only enhanced, but we're only three episodes in. So, I agree. I agree for sure. We get back into the uh, the Numerian um, Numerian uh, throne room, and Muriel is talking to Elendil, and I think that she's trying to find out if he's one of the faithful. He's one of the the Numerians who are Numorians who are still faithful to the Valar and hasn't like forsaken the old ways. So she just wants to, she, she's just, I, let's just cut to the chase. Muriel is one of the faithful as we find out later in the episode. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. And when she's talking to Elendil, she's kind of like skirting around it. She just can't come out and say it. Like she says, like she says the faithful believe that, when the petals of the white tree fall, it is no idle thing, but the very tears of the Valar themselves. Like she's you know, bringing up, talking about the faithful and, and, um, oh, interesting thing. Like in, in future seasons, once we see like this tree with less of the white blossoms, like when they start to fall, I believe it's going to definitely be foretelling that the city is going to, you know, see its downfall by the, by the Valar. Um, she asks what his name is, and, and, and he says it means one who loves the stars. And then he finally comes out and says it means elf friend. So she's just really kind of feeling him out. I think she really kind of wants to... I think she's looking for that other person that she can kind of confide in, right? Yeah, absolutely. She needs to put a guard on Galadriel to keep up the pretense that she's a Kingsman, but she also wants that guard to be somebody that she can trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she what do you think her intuition is? What do you think she believes? 
I think she believes that she can trust Elendil because I think most any other uh, Numenorian, if if they were a Kingsman type person, they would have just left that elf out there in the ocean. They probably would have saved Halbrand. Yeah. Like, nope, you can stay on your little raft there. Yeah, the fact that he brought her, brought an elf to the city, I think was enough for her to kind of like kind of open up her eyes and think like this, this could be someone who's like down for the cause. It would be a really cool dichotomy too to see that like two different people that saved Galadriel out at sea. One could be possibly for nefarious reasons and one could be for the right reasons. She tells Elendil to watch Galadriel and then gives him a sword, which I've seen a lot of people think like that this sword is Narsil, but I don't think that it is. I don't think that he's going to get that sword until much later. Well, and also Narsil is supposed to be a, a family heirloom, so mm-hmm. to yes. have it given to him would be by anybody other than his father would be weird. Yeah, yeah. It didn't look like it either. The hilt looked different as well, and I'm pretty sure they'll they'll try to stay as accurate as they can to some of the previous designs. So, I, I agree with you guys. Galadriel's looking for a ship. She's wanting to get the hell out of there. Elendil's been following her, and she basically says she does not want to stay where she's hated. And, like, Elendil says, like, not everyone hates her. And he's talking about the faithful. And he starts to speak Elvish. And he says, you know, I, I, I was taught Elvish when I was a child. It's taught. It's also taught uh, in the where I come from, and he comes from the West. But he says it's also taught in the Hall of Lore. And so she wants to go to the Hall of Lore. Uh, and so they make their way on horseback to the Hall of Lore. And this is where we cut back to Halbrand, and he's at the Smithies. And he tells one of the Smithies that he wants to work as, 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 he wants to work there and, um, He's the best. Nobody on the island knows the craft better than him. And the smithy tells Halbrand that if he doesn't have a crest, then he can't forge as a smithy. And so that's when we get like the scene of him, uh, you know, with with the men that are kind of talking down to him and calling him. What do they call him? Like a, a lesser man or something? Yeah. And um, by they calling him lowborn. Lo, yeah, low man. Maybe did they call him lowborn, low man? And, Something like that. They're yeah. definitely inferring that that they are much better than he is. Right, right. And that, so he he's like, you know what? I'm right. You know, I'm I've been on your island and and I've just been eating your food and uh, all this stuff. I and and uh, you know, let me buy you guys, you know, some rounds of drinks. And they all drink, and they're like, "Oh, you're not too half bad, low man, or whatever." And and that's when he puts his arm around the guy and steals the crest from him. He's gonna take use that crest to be able to get himself to to go to the, one of these smithies and and work there. And uh, the men follow him, and they get in a fight. This is where we get like a f- brutal fight. Like, where did this come from? And he's like, he's basically like the Incredible Hulk. He's like, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. He kind of warns these guys, like, <laughs> don't do this. You won't want. You don't want to do this. And he goes off when he broke bones. I, I felt like I was watching a raid movie there for a moment. This was awesome. Yeah, I did not expect that level of intensity from this show i and i really liked it this was awesome <laughs> it was very cool and for it to be the biggest dude also that when he bumps into that guy it was like bumping into a wall 
But it's like, nope, when when you've lit this guy's fuse, even that big guy's not going to stand a chance. He's going to take him down fast. I want to see this guy with the sword. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like... Uh... T'Challa, get this man a shield. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's get this man a sword. Um, so anyway, the uh, after he kicks their asses handedly, like the guards take him away. And so he's going to be taken into prison. We get to the Hall of Lore. Galadriel gives Elendil Sauron's mark, who then gives it to um, a, a guy who is looking through the records and and uh, we find out that the archives were something that was built by Elros, the twin brother of Elrond. And we see a painting on the wall of Elros and Elrond as they are parting ways. They're saying goodbye to each other. And if you look in the center of that painting and up at the top, you see a, sh- a, a shining ship in the center at the very top. And that is Eärendil. As the as the shining star that he becomes, um, Elendil says says that the archives have not been torn down because of Muriel's father and once king of Numenor, Tar Palantir. Uh, he's one of the faithful and loyal to the elves, and because of that, the men of Numenor kicked him out of his seat and exiled him from his own kingdom, and now he lives in a tower. Um, we find out that the symbol is a map of Mordor. I believe, Billy, you said that. Yeah, that was a few theories floating around, but and I, I thought it kind of played in. It's something I really actually enjoyed about that reveal is that sometimes I don't like it to have to be too convoluted. It's what it looked like. It makes sense. I just like that they didn't drag that out, and now we know for sure what it is. And I think it really just helps... People who are, again, more of the casual fans, people maybe just watch the movies once or maybe here and there. It definitely helps kind of drive that connection to the main trilogy. We find out that there was a contingency plan in case Morgoth was defeated. Morgoth was defeated um, and Sauron and the orcs would create Mordor, a place where they could start their rule. So that's. There's this contingency plan that is in place. And um, then we move on into a scene with Elendil and his son Isildur. And they're watching uh, puppet theater. Uh, and the puppets, uh, the one dressed in white is Galadriel. And the other, there's another puppet to her, the other, to that puppet's right, to the Galadriel puppet's right, which is Muriel. And I don't know who they're fighting here. Was that supposed to be Morgoth? I wasn't sure if it was Morgoth or if it was people like Numenorians that were fighting her and well, they were making it seem like like the <laughs> Numenorians are getting rid of this evil elf. Yeah, but she ends up like at the end of the play, she ends up defeating it and people were cheering in the crowd. Uh, it must have been a Morgoth thing then. Yeah, I don't know. I, I should have was... paid closer attention to the puppet show. <laughs> yeah, I, did one, I watched it twice too and I didn't feel super clear on it. It's something probably you could probably go and probably find a general consensus online, but I agree with you guys. It wasn't super clear. Yeah. Um, Elendil wants Isildur to be a seaman um, and take the sea trials. And that is not what Isildur wants. He wants to take a, a year off. He wants He wants to... He wants to meet his brother out west. 
Um, is sealed doors looks at his father and he says, I just want to dance. And he throws up jazz hands and he also gives him the, uh, I learned it by watching you line too, a little bit. Yeah. He said, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he does. He does say that. Um, Isildur mentions that his brother, Anarion, and that upsets Elendil. Like, Anarion definitely left on bad terms with his father. And, um... I'm wondering if Anarion is fully in on the faithful. He is. And, and Elendil just isn't. He's He's on the fence. Like, he knows mm. these ways, he was raised around it, but he wants to be loyal to Numenor, mm. and I think that this story is going to be putting him in a place where he realizes he has to choose in his son's right. I think Elendil is stuck between a rock and a hard place. I think it's because, yeah. I think it's because he's, I think he is, in his heart, one of the faithful, but I think after his wife died, that... He he's like, I'm the only one they have. I'm their parent. I'm their dad. And it's hard for him to see them growing up and making their own decisions. But the decision he made when they were children was to not go out west and not join the other faithful. It was to be safe, keep the kids safe in Numenor. I already lost her. I'm not losing them. I'm doing what's good for my kids. I, I'm one, I, yes, in my heart, I'm one of the faithful, but if I have to live this life, this is the sacrifice a father has to make in order to keep his kids safe. So I think that's where his heart is, Joe. Yeah, I, I think that that's really accurate. And, and I think that he knows that when there's people like, like Farazan and them, that he has to put this pretense up because that guy, didn't he describe him to Muriel as, oh, that's, you know, a form on for uh, uh, he comes from a noble house that's fallen. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, he's saying that it's fallen because they're faithful. Yeah, we yeah. have to remember too that the numbers of the faithful versus that kind of the other guard, the king's side, much much smaller number mm-hmm. of faithful than the other side, the the pro men leaning side, anti elf leaning side. So, like you said, it is a, a sacrifice the father's making. And I mean, I'm sure we will see more of them, but there really are not, like Joe mentions, there are not many that end up remaining faithful throughout. It's like uh, <laughs> it's like the Empire versus the Rebellion, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Uh, it really is. Arian. Uh, Isildur's daughter, uh, no, excuse me, um, Elendil's daughter shows up and, and she says that she's been accepted into the Builders Guild. Um, I think, I think her name, Aarion, I think I read that her name means like daughter of the sea or child of the sea. So it makes me think that maybe she might not even join the Builders Guild, that maybe her heart is in, in the sea, that maybe she will follow like what her father is doing i don't know i'm just that was just i just found that interesting or are they setting up to be a rift in the family if she's now following this profession where she's like no i'm gonna stay here in this city Mm -hmm. where my job is i'm not gonna go with you guys chasing after elves yeah i think it's gonna have a lot of influence over her too those two characters seem very close i think where one goes the other may follow 
I think that's very true. And we have to remember, too, this is a completely original character as well. Yes. So there is really no preset destiny for this character, which makes it one of the interesting ones to follow. Yeah, this is like Daryl in The Walking Dead. Who knows what he's going to do? He's a wild card. <laughs> wild card. <laughs> Uh, Galadriel, we get her at Halbrand's cell and she shows him that she found a, she was in the Hall of Lore and she found a match for the sigil that he wears around his neck. Halbrand says that he got it off of a dead man. Galadriel does not believe him. She says it was the mark of his ancestor who united the men of the Southlands. And then Halbrand says that it was the man's ancestor who swore a blood oath to Morgoth and his family lost the war. And Galadriel says that her family started that war. And goes on to say that, you know, it was no chance meeting that they met. And um, then we get a shot of uh, Muriel in the tower meeting with her father, who we do not get to see. But we, we she's talking to her father, Tar Palantir. And says that the moment that they have feared has arrived. The elf is here. The elf has arrived. So that is where that storyline ends. But I do want to talk about where are we? Oh, yeah, let's see here. Yeah. Uh, can I? Are, are we ready to talk about my Hal Brand is Sauron theory? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was gonna say I want to bring up one line here real quick. Yes, when Galadriel was talking with Halbrand, it was my favorite line of this episode, and she it. says, "Your people have no king, for you are him." And Halbrand says, "That's an odd thing to say to a man in a cage." And Galadriel says, "A cage you have landed in because you chafe under the rags of the common, and the armor that ought rest upon your shoulders weighs upon your soul." God damn, that fucking line is good. That, that was my favorite line, too. The armor <laughs> line. was so I, I wrote it down. I was like, oh, my gosh. I I really loved Galadriel on this episode. I I'm, Even on the scene when they're riding to this place, when she's on the horse and you see her, like, finally crack some emotion. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man. This episode really I, warmed I thought they were Galadriel. trying to sell me some sort of medication in that <laughs> scene. Yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, Quick Take Celebrex. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, oh the elf names do sound like pills. They do. <laughs> um, just like when you're talking about the uh, Muriel stuff and the Tar Palantir kind of cliffhanger ending on that storyline, just for a little bit of context, the um, King Tar Palantir, he does have the gift of some foresight. And so that line isn't just because of their own kind of um, maybe fears or aversions. There's probably been something that's kind of they've seen that preludes mm. that kind yeah. of. Yeah. I, I wonder if he had like a prophetic, a prophetic dream or something that, you know, about the downfall of Numenor and it was all going to start with an elf coming to the Island. It, that's where I'm, That's basically where I'm thinking that is the context. It's like maybe they thought they had more time. It's always that kind of thing. It's like you know, you can see in the future, and that's a very trope in any th- kind of show from, from anime to any kind of science fiction is you kind of know the future it seems to kind of change and happen sooner than you think. And it's, a, it's kind of a – to me, I took that as a we thought we had more time kind of comment. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Let this is the moment that I've been dying to talk to you guys about. The Halbrand is Sauron. And I'm going to lay out all the clues that were teased not only in this episode, but I think, you know, in, in, in previous episodes. Uh, first off, I want to say that showrunner J.D. Payne teased Total Film earlier this year talking about Soren's return. He said, quote, we can say that when he appears, it might be in a way people aren't expecting. So there was that quote from the showrunner. Um, but let's talk about the how brand is Soren teases here. Remember, Soren is a shapeshifter and can basically he can he could have taken Halbrand's form. Uh so I do want to point that out that Sauron is a shapeshifter could have taken Halbrand's form when Halbrand is walking with Galadriel and stops to look at the smithies at work he's, he's like dying to join them. And why is this important and what does it have to do with Sauron? Sauron was one of the Maiar who served the Valar god Aule who was the smith of the Valar, the smith of the gods. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. That's huge. Uh, let's talk about the the names. Like, the Watchwarden, when talking about Adar, says Sauron was said to have many names in days of old. Perhaps this is one of them. There's more at work here than we can yet see. So he's teasing that Adar is Sauron. But what he's saying is interesting. He's said to have had many names in days of old. Perhaps this is one of them. Also, in this episode, one of the Numorian men asks Halbrand what his name is. And he says, depends on what, how close we are. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I like that one. In episode one, Galadriel's brother Finrod says to her, you must touch the darkness before you can truly know what the light is. I believe that that darkness is Sauron, and unbeknownst to her, she's basically helping him fulfill his destiny here. I also want to read a quote from the Tolkien Gateway site about Sauron at the start of the Second Age. They say, After the War of Wrath, with the downfall of Morgoth and the destruction of Thangorodim, uh, Sauron adopted a fair form and repented his evil deeds in fear of the wrath of the Valar. Ianwe ordered Sauron to return to Valinor in order to receive the judgment of the Manwe. Sauron was not willing to suffer such humiliation, and he instead fled and hid himself in Middle-earth. So, maybe that finds Halbrand... In the Southlands, Sauron in the Southlands spending time with a group of men, some of whom were faithful to Morgoth. Remember when Gil-galad said the same wind that seeks to blow out the fire may also cause it to spread? We might be looking at Galadriel kind of blowing, you know, basically causing this fire to spread by, by getting involved with Halbrand if he is... Sauron, and we mm -hmm. might be looking at a, you know, like Tolkien Gateway said that, you know, after this, the destruction, the downfall of Morgoth, he adopted a fair form and repented his evil deeds. We might be looking at that repentant Sauron right now, running from his destiny. And then I also want to point out when Halbrand first meets the Smithies, he's talking to the head Smithy and he says, I'm here to start anew. Lend me that chance, please, and I won't forget it. A repentant 
Sauron looking to start over. Uh, Galadriel was trying to get Halbrand back to Middle Earth and back in the Southlands where she's, where he saw the orcs. That's like the thick of the evil and he's trying to get away from it. And she's basically tempting him to go back to Middle Earth. Like if, if that happens, this could kickstart the plan for him to rule Middle Earth again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, uh, notice, how, okay, let me get into, <sighs> give me one second. I'm going to pause. Okay. Also, I want to talk about the scene where Galadriel is talking to Halbrand when he's in the prison and she says, let's go to Middle Earth and redeem our bloodlines. Halbrand says, how? You're stuck on this island and still have no army. And she replies, that is all about to change. Um, so I think that she's going to be traveling to the northwestern shores of Numenor, the Andunie, where she will meet with the faithful and possibly meet Isildur's brother, Anerion, and... I would be worried about Sauron turning this into his army eventually. If it is Halbrand. Oh, man, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So glad is just doing the work for him, basically. Right. right. Yes. Oh. I think, I mean, I think as far as storyline beats what they've presented in the show, Brian, I think that's like a really, really good theory and I think would totally make sense. It really, again, like I kind of mentioned earlier on in the episode, just comes down to how much are they going to stick to established mm-hmm. war? And if they do, that's not how Sauron originally comes to Numenor. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I, I'm very open to it. I think it's really cool. And like you said, it would be really cool to have arguably the most charming character end up to being one of the most sinister characters because a big, obviously, criticism people have, say, even of the Jackson trilogy is that you don't get an embodiment of Sauron at all. And it's just kind of this benevolent force. So it would be really kind of crazy to have this really charming person be Sauron. I mean, I'm not against it, honestly. Games, right. Games radar. I was reading uh, an article that they had, they make the case that he's not Sauron. And here's their reasoning. They say, first off, Sauron's actually a shapeshifter. In fact, in the second age, when the ring, uh, the rings of power is set, Sauron disguised himself as the Anatar, the so-called Lord of gifts. And he has ties to the creation of the rings of power that were given to mortal men, elves, and dwarves. Sauron, as Anatar, helped the elven blacksmiths create the rings and later secretly made a ring that could control the other rings of power. Speculators believe that Halbrand could be the show's version of Anatar, and there are a few clues. In Tolkien's appendices, Sauron is taken as a prisoner by the King of Numenor. That's the city of the Dunedain. Uh a.k.a. long-living men, uh, and is where Halbrand and Galadriel end up in the end of episode two. In the appendices, Sauron uses his dark influence to become an advisor to the king, and this leads to the destruction of Numenor. Uh, But there's a huge caveat. Uh, This doesn't happen until after the forging of the One Ring and a conflict known as the War of the Elves, unless the Rings of Power is doing a substantial rejig of the Lord of the Rings timeline, then Sauron being in Numenor ahead of the forging of the rings and the War of the Elves makes no sense. In fact, after that famous battle, 
Sauron's brought to Numenor as a prisoner, which counters this theory. I yes, that is all part of the Tolkien history. I think that they are changing it. I think they cha- they're changing it. And uh, I also want to point out that this article mentions that Sauron, as the Anatar, was also called the giver of gifts. In this episode, he gave Galadriel back her brother's dagger, and he also bought a round of drinks for the men of Numenor. He's giving out gifts, yeah. guys. Manipulation like by gifts. I like what you said about the repenting a lot too, Brian, because I've seen a lot of people say this isn't Sauron because he's a shapeshifter and he'd get out of this situation and he'd get out of that situation and he wouldn't allow himself to be captured. And I think the the theory that at the time he's kind of either A, repenting his evil ways or B, afraid to use them as being noticed by, you know, the Valir, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I that pokes a big hole in the whole, well, he's a shapeshifter, so you wouldn't get caught up in any of those machinations theories. I, I I don't think you should be able to buy that at all. Well, and also considering where, wh- where did that source material come from? Is it from the appendices or is it from something else? Because if it's from something else, yeah, that might be the book history, but this show doesn't have access to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This all leads me into Theo's father. And the Witch King theory. So people are thinking that, oh, well, Halbrand is Theo's father. And Halbrand is, you know, he's his destiny is to be, you know, the king that unites the men of the Southlands. And uh, I, I, I still firmly believe that Halbrand is Sauron. And now I think that Theo is the Witch King. Halbrand, when he's imprisoned says to Galadriel, be careful, elf. The heir to this mark is heir to more than just nobility, for it was his ancestor who swore a blood oath to Morgoth. I am not the hero you seek, for it was my family that lost the war. I believe him. He says it was my family that lost the war, meaning Morgoth and the orcs were his quote-unquote family, and they lost the War of Wrath in the First Age. And when he says, the heir to this mark is heir to more than just nobility, and talks about the blood oath to Morgoth, I believe that if he's Sauron, he came across the body of this man, took his form, and the heir to the dead man is Theo. The blood oath that was given to Morgoth lives on in Theo. And we see this when the blood is pulled from Theo into the sword from episode two. Theo is going to be the Witch King of Angmar. I like that. Because maybe also instead of it being instead of it being Sauron's blade, maybe that was that former king's blade. And so it's recognizing his own blood that made this oath to reform that that blade of, uh, you know, that that broken sword. Yeah, I mean, I even think they could go as far as maybe even saying it is like a, a relic of like Morgoth himself, even like that could be something really cool. And even also, Joe, to kind of mention your point that we were kind of talking about before, I actually pulled my book out and checked and the stuff about the accurate timeline per se of Sauron is in the appendix. So I guess technically they could use the actual history. Ah, shoot. 
good old book. <laughs> I do like that the theory that, that that that's who who Theo is though. And and I like that that also it's like if it's a blood oath, like there's gonna be powerful magic wrapped up in that. And how far down the generational line does that go? I think we get pro- Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. I, I just I do think that I, I believe Halbrand here. I don't think that he is this man. I think that he did find it. And I do think that he's warning her. He starts off immediately by saying, be careful, elf. This is a warning. And he's saying the heir to this mark is heir to more than just nobility. I think he's talking about the witch king. And, and he says, for it was his ancestor who swore a blood oath to Morgoth. I am not the hero you seek. I, I believe him. I believe that it was the dead man's ancestor who swore a blood oath and that Theo is next in line. It, it's been passed on to Theo. Theo, that's why his blood was pulled out. It's So I believe that at one time Bronwyn met this man that now <laughs> Sauron has taken the the the, the form of. At one time. So it'll be interesting to see if he, he ends up meeting Bronwyn. Cause I think there's going to be a lot of confusion there. <laughs> so Definitely. I, like it. I like it. And I wonder if they're going to explore more about Theo's father, supposedly running off or whatever that was kind of briefly mentioned in the first two episodes. And, and yeah. it could have been his father didn't run off. His father was killed, impersonated and then put in, you know, went West to try and seek out Numenor. Yeah, could, could be even cool if maybe he still is alive and maybe he's like in one of the prison camps or something. And that could be a, a big reveal they show towards, you know, the end of the season. Per oh, se. I like and then that, that, that kind huge. of informs us that oh, who the hell is that guy then? You know what I mean? And then that yeah, I think yeah. that could be kind of cool. Oh, man, what a great season ender that would be. I just think it was like if if Sauron is trying to, you know, run away from his destiny, but also I think he's being pulled by it, it would make sense for him to take the form of the man who could be the guy that would unite the men in the Southlands. You know, you, you see what I'm saying? Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, where are you guys at? Like, I have have you are you still I'm just curious. Where, where my, you, my guard is still up because I, I feel like the writers are definitely doing this on purpose and dangling all these things that you've pointed out about Halbrand. They're, they're doing this purposely. Now, whether it's to lead us astray for a, a bigger reveal later on or if this is legit foreshadowing and that's what's going to happen. Um, but I, I always there's a part of me that's always has my guard up when writers do that because I know that trick. <laughs> and and so it's it just makes me curious uh is that what they're doing here or is it legitimate foreshadowing yeah i think halbrand is the number one suspect and i think the foreshadowing is very vague to casual watchers so i i see what you're saying by a writer's trick but i i don't know it's not a very obvious trick except for the real eagle-eyed like enthusiasts so i, I don't yeah. know i I buy that Halbrand is Sauron. He's the number one suspect. Where there's smoke, there's fire. I, I think it's definitely him. 
I'm I'm just I, I'm not sure if I'm ready to make my call yet. It's really again, it's that balance I fight about knowing kind of lore versus but what the kind of the show is kind of showing us per se and kind of presenting to us as a viewer. Um I, I, I'm just wondering if they would have Sauron in Numenor that early or not. I, I don't I don't know. And again, we really don't know what how they plan to kind of play with time too in the series of, as far as time jumps and things of that nature is it going to be just and then that's again is something i'm interested in because i don't think they're worried per se about the years and timeline to keep that accurate i think they know that's kind of too hard and difficult to keep up with well i think that they jumps. know if they stick with that billy then people are going to be able to kind of guess what they're going to do beat for yeah. beat. I think this is where they're going to surprise people and they're going to be like, okay, yeah, he is showing up and oh my God, Sauron did show up in Numenor early. They're changing things. This show is going to keep me on my toes. And then I guess we're at the point where it's like, if you're, you know, if you're a Tolkien purist, like it might be your, you might be like Galadriel and jump off yeah. the ship of this show at that point. <laughs> oh, for sure. But, oh, for sure. But for me, I, I appreciate I, subverting expectations. Though. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And again, I'm somebody who is a big fan and it does not upset me in the slightest. And I, I do tend to think a lot of the outrage and the things you see out there a lot of it is just kind of almost low-hanging fruit because i i've seen a lot more positivity out there and if you watch some of the ones that are a little bit kind of the points they're going after it's like i really can't see you actually being bothered by some of those things so i i agree i think subverting expectations has been a positive thing for this series so far i think the showrunners are doing this i think they sat down and they're like let's do this let's surprise people like we've got to We've got to make some big shakeups, some big surprises. And so I, I think that they are kind of going to definitely change the timeline, compress the timeline in order to tell their story in Tolkien's, in Tolkien's world. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Let's get into the Harfoot storyline. Um, I, thoughts on the Harfoot. I honestly felt like they could have left this out of this episode. I, I agree. Yeah. It, yeah. They they built up so much goodwill with me over the first two episodes with the Harfoots, and on this one, it left me scratching my head. It's like you have a chance saying nobody nobody gets left behind, and you're fucking leaving people behind. Like, <laughs> They're fucking savages. They're the worst. They, they are really savages. Think it's funny. Because on the one hand, I can understand. Okay, you're nomadic people. Perhaps you know you need to be at certain points at the trail at certain times of the year. Otherwise, the entire group is going to be at danger. Okay, well, why are you making me come up with that myself? Put that into the writing to explicitly put it through. Otherwise, it just looks like these are people who are only friendly to each other on the outside. But otherwise, it's like, hey, if your ass isn't in that fucking seat at 7.15, we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> what is ha – I mean, there has to be – it would have been nice if we would have gotten a story about like a previous migration where they did stop for someone and then maybe like – so ugly many sonic of the came. what's um what i said ugly sonic warg showed up well yeah something like that let's say something like that happens like ugly sonic warg shows up and fucking like takes out like 75 percent of the harfoots like exactly because they waited for one person right right and and, and, and so if that's the case they should have put that in they should have just put our minds at, at ease right yeah be like oh these are still the the really good 
<laughs> these, these are the proto hobbits that we can love and trust that they're going to do the right thing every time. Whereas in this part of the storyline, it felt like they don't do the right thing every time. Yeah. But, but, but maybe that was purposely done because by the time we get to the end of this one with the stranger saying friend, Nori says, you know, that's it. This is how we help. This is how we keep up with the others. All of us, he helps us and we help him. Yeah. And so I, Actually, now that I say that all out loud, it almost feels like maybe that was done on purpose. But I still didn't. I still thought it was a dirty trick to to make me feel badly a, about the Harfoots with all the goodwill that they built up in the first two episodes. I did yeah, really. This was a real bad look for Sadok. I thought. I mean, he's probably the number two suspect for being Sauron after this episode. Like Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> I mean, I felt bad. I mean, he's lost people, too. I mean, I, I felt bad for him. I really felt bad for Poppy. Like, she lost her entire family in a landslide. And even Sadok, like, n- lost a family member. So, I felt bad for him. But, like, there is this, like, you know, just leave people behind. And it's, it's, these are, these are people in your community. You're supposed to like care for them. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's savage, man. It's like, it's like, fuck, dude. It's like the Ewoks eating people and shit, man. <laughs> it totally yeah. is savage. I, I was waiting for them to be giving the speech about the people they've abandoned and they actually already had them listed on the list. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to abandon them. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, guys. That's supposed to be for next, next. Yeah. Speech. And let's just <laughs> get it out of the way now. Let's just get it out of the way now. Nori and Largo and Rose, you guys, have, we, we've enjoyed our time with you, but we're probably not going to see you now. So let's just say goodbye now. Yeah. I think this culture is definitely going to be changed by the end of this series. There's there's lots of foreshadowing to that. And I thought it was very funny that there seemed to be one, one guy that they were all glad that he ended up not being able to keep up with them. Dead by bees. <laughs> like, yeah. They said he was dumb. Yeah, yeah. he was an Egypt. <laughs> ah, good riddance to that guy we're not going to shed a tear poppy's not going to cry for this one <laughs> we, we loved him but he was an agent <laughs> last episode uh the stranger used fireflies to illustrate a constellation for nori and poppy and i asked who might they know that might have some information on that and i said uh Sadik. Uh, Burroughs and I mentioned his book and then Joe said maybe they'll steal the book and that's exactly what happens here in this episode <laughs> they steal a constellation map from Sadik Burroughs it was definitely the best scene of, of this storyline too I thought it was very humorous the, the words she was using to try to to get Nori to reach in the right place and yeah. I, I thought this was a very clever scene yeah I also like the scene of the, the stranger just like you know uh, asking in the you know the second ep- the second episode like what is fire? Well, he finds out because um, <laughs> he burns the constellation map up. He's and, not used to things actually getting burned by fire. He's right, very shook. He then stumbles around the camp and starts scaring everybody, and then says Nori's name out loud. Rats are out. Everybody knows that she's the one who's Snitch. basically had him hanging out around the camp. Um, Sadek is asked by Largo about, uh, you know, uh, falling stars, like men falling from, from the sky. Uh, and, and he says he's never heard of that. He's heard about, uh, men being turned into a star, which is a reference or he said, he said multiple beings 
turning into stars. But I think this was a reference to A. Arendel, who we kind of talked about earlier. But um, Sadek says that uh, the Brandyfoots, because Nori has kind of like broken the law and brought in an outsider, that they're going to have to stay at the back of the caravan, which is basically a death sentence, especially since they have um, Largo has an injured foot. And so then, yeah, then it's like uh, I get by with a little help from my friends and we're going to have the stranger pushing the cart for them and keeping them up with the caravan. So and not a lot that I really enjoyed out of the Harfoots this episode, but um, yeah. Oh, the conversation between Rose and, and Nori also, where she's like, you're not special. You're just a little girl. And it's like, oh, my God, that's a <laughs> thing for a parent to say. <laughs> well, I think that's just hobbits in general. Like, you know, hobbits shouldn't be seeking adventure. And you know exactly. what I mean? They get, she's going to stamp that spirit of adventure out of her soul. And that's how she's going to do it. That's why Bilbo and Frodo and, you know, just they, they're, they're looked down on something. They're just like, what? And, you know, they're the bad neighbor, you know? Like, ah. Uh. But, um I am, uh, as I am 100% sold that Halbrand is Sauron. I'm, I'm, guys, I'm telling you, I'm put, I'm planting my flag that Halbrand is Sauron, and until he's revealed to not be Sauron, um, and then in that moment, I'll eat crow. But for right now, 100%, Halbrand is Sauron. I am 50 50 on this stranger being Gandalf. There's so many things that line up to support the stranger being Gandalf and chiefly the fact that when he first comes to Middle Earth and he's all disoriented and he knows nothing, it was the Harfoots that took him in and showed him kindness and and started helping him along the way. And if this is a people that weren't really recorded during this time period, then no mention of Gandalf showing up during this time period would have been recorded anywhere because the people he was with didn't even show up in the historical record. Screen, and so it, it works for me. Screen rant. Well, hold on. In this episode, at the very end, he calls Nori, he calls Nori friend. And I think that that is a subtle kind of nod for when Gandalf figures out the speak friend and enter riddle. Mm at the locked door at the Mines of Moria. And then in the previous episode, he's talking to the Fireflies the same way that Gandalf talks to the Moth. Um, Screen Rant, they kind of talked about this. They said they wrote about... Uh, Screen Rant wrote about before Gandalf the Grey appeared in Middle-Earth in the Third Age, he was known by another name, Aloran. Aloran was a Maiar spirit who wielded the fire just like the stranger does when he appears in a meteor with no burns. So I do think that maybe, I mean, maybe this is like the, the prequel to Gandalf the Grey. And I do think that we will see blue wizards, but maybe not this season, maybe in future seasons. But this might be the prequel of all of them. I don't know. I, I'm leaning towards him being Gandalf, guys. I really am. And Man, well, you can't rule got, it out. We've People got the other two bearers. Oh, absolutely. But we've already got the other two bearers of the, the three elven rings on the screen. And so it just kind of makes sense that, yeah, this other guy's Gandalf, too. 
this is going to be the other person that's going to get one of those three elven rings. Yeah. I, I like a Gandalf with hot six-pack abs, too. Oh, <laughs> I mean, we could just start calling him Baby Gandalf now. Baby Gandalf, for sure, yeah. Did you see his abs, though, when he was... Oh, yeah, how could you not? <laughs> I saw his 4K abs very clearly. And he's going to definitely, like, pushing that cart now and holding it up. Like, he is going to be ripped by the end of the season. That's hilarious. <laughs> I want to see, like, I want to see Poppy, like, doing, uh, you know, washing her clothes on his abs or something like <laughs> scrubbing them clothes real hard she's right like i don't need to go down to the rocks by the river i i got i got gandalf over here <laughs> that's when it dears gandalf to all of them because of how well you can wash your clothes off of his abs <laughs> oh man i loved this episode i did so i really good. did miss duran and elrond quite a bit but man i oh, love i this think episode. we're guaranteed to get a whole bunch can't wait for they, they already showed us that next week we're getting a ton of that. Sweet. I haven't seen the teaser for next week. Oh, I watched it. I watched it. Yeah. I watched it immediately after I finished the episode. I can't, I can't help myself. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to be looking up as soon as we're done recording. It, it plays if you watch it on Prime and you make it so it doesn't play the next thing. It'll play it right yeah. after the credits. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'll keep that in mind for future watches. You have to hit the menu button fast enough before it tries to flip you to whatever bullshit it's recommending next. (laughs) That is all I have for this episode. I cannot wait for episode four. And you know what? It's like this was a very daunting thing for me and for you guys to take on taking on this show. But I'm glad that we did because I feel like it's really enhanced my enjoyment of it. Just being able to talk to you guys every week. I was talking with a friend earlier this week and I was like, man, I'm glad it's the four of us. I feel like we're the four hobbits when we talk on this podcast. That's you know? fucking yeah. awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I'm so glad that I'm enjoying this show. I honestly, I had anxiety leading up to the premiere of this, that it was just going to be like a hate watch and it is anything but that. I totally agree. I was really worried, especially in concerns with the lore and and how are they going to do all this? And I think they're doing it really, really well. And I think a lot of the hate that this is receiving online, I think most of it is just from people who are honestly kind of small minded when it comes to some of the, the things that they're bitching about and latching on, whether it's people of color as elves or, or they, they don't like the way they're portraying Galadriel for whatever reason, it just comes off that they're, their complaints aren't valid in really having anything to do with this show, because especially with all the deep dives of lore that we've been doing as part of doing the research on these episodes, it's been really, really fantastic to to watch. And I'm so excited to keep on keep on this journey with you guys. Well, Joe, I, that's why I hate saying that uh, this is going to be your last episode, Joe. Uh, <laughs> man, the, it's oh, you're really awkward. awkward. God, dude, like we've I'm had left behind. Yeah, <laughs> you're back in the line. Back, Joe. You're the back of the caravan, Joe. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna get some sharks with my cart. You'll see. When I, well, Joe, when I think we'll of say like your name and do the chant, I when <laughs> on my phone I changed your picture to Largo's foot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We wait for you, Joe Stark. I think the, <laughs> that's very touching. I, I think the positivity has been good, and like I said, I like I think, funny enough, I would have thought that the episodes that we would have 
maybe like the least would be the beginning episodes because they have to do a lot of heavy lifting. Uh, but I'm just thinking now that we've kind of gotten the main characters, at least for now, under our feet and been introduced, it's going to be easier to kind of go and enjoy the stories and the development now that we don't have to be introduced to more of the main characters to start. And I've fallen in love with some of these characters. Like I love Nori. I love Elrond. And I, I'm for as much as I shouldn't, I fucking love Halbrand. And it's like, it's going to crush me when he does turn out to be Sauron. I'm on like the, I want to root for Galadriel, but it's, I think there's so many things that she's doing and so many things that she's saying that have kind of infuriated me towards her. So I'm, and I think a lot of it has to do with like her will and her drive because of this vow that she gave her brother. And 100%. so, yeah, I, I do have some problems with th- not the actor, not anything like that. It's just some of the, some of the ways that she's going about doing things and some of the things that she says comes off very kind of like elvish and arrogant, right? Oh, for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. So, but you know, but by the time you get Galadriel and like the, you know, the Peter Jackson trilogy, I love her. So I'm looking forward to like her character arc. So as we go further, that is all I have. Did you guys have any final thoughts on this episode? No, I, I just can't wait for next week and more. Same. Yep. Remember to follow us on Twitter uh, at PCLOTR, and then you can send us an email. Uh, what is it? PCLOTRpod at gmail.com. So send us those emails. And uh, yeah, we will see you next week for episode four. See ya. See ya. Bye. Later.